your Bibles this morning, if you would, and we'll open them to Matthew chapter 12. And I have two verses that I'd like to read to you as the text for the message today. And these are short verses, so I'll let you remain seated, and I'll read these, and we'll get quickly into our message. Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor in the world to come. Father, we thank you for the good time we've had thus far in our services. We pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning my subject is when God will not forgive. And I want to talk to you today about the unpardonable sin. We've been in our study of Matthew for three and a half years now, and I'm sure that there are some of you that are wondering if this is ever going to end, if we're ever going to reach the end of the book of Matthew. Well, it'll happen in one of two ways. Either we'll get to chapter 28 and verse number 20, I'll finish, and then we'll go on to another book of the Bible, or I will die, and unless the next pastor decides to take off where, where I leave off, then, then uh, you'll be through. But I'm sure that in many of the messages that I've preached in Matthew thus far, that there are some that you've thought are not very interesting, Hopefully you've found some that are, but I'm sure you've found some that you didn't think were interesting, and you may wonder why I've spent some time on some of these scriptures and didn't just give them a cursory glance, just read them and go on to something else, and I would have to confess to you that sometimes I wonder the same when I'm preparing a message. When it finally comes time to preach the sermon, I almost always find out that God has a purpose in it that someone will go out after the service and when I think that, well, that message didn't really help anybody, that somebody will go out and say, well, I'm really glad that you preached that message today because it helped me to understand something that I didn't know about or I got something out of that message. And, and that's what I'm here for. Uh, since the Bible is our only source material, then I do want you to very clearly understand what the Bible says. And if you leave here not understanding, then I do want you to know that I'm here to explain further if need be. I'm, I'm available to anybody at any time to talk to you about something that's been said in the messages. But as we look at today's passage... I, I think that there's hardly a person that has read the Bible that doesn't find this to be an interesting topic. Now, the title of the message, again, is When God Does Not Forgive. And just that title itself strikes a chord of curiosity because it doesn't seem to be quite right. Not when we know the character of God. Not when we know who God is. It just doesn't seem like this is the right thing to say, that there is a time when God doesn't forgive. Uh, a few weeks ago when I took the little survey that we had of the message on our sign out front that's no longer there. I think we're going to put it back up later when we get it repaired. But that sign said, or that banner said, Church Without the Smoke and Mirrors. And I took that little survey to see what people thought that that, that, that saying meant. And there was one of the answers that came back that said, A Church Without Judgment on the Sins and Transgressions of Others. And I don't know exactly what that person meant, 
But I would say that we are a church that preaches from the Bible, and I think the Bible is very clear about sin. The Apostle John gave a definition of sin. He said, sin is the transgression of the law. And of course he meant sin is the transgression or the breaking of God's law that we find in the Bible. So the Bible gives us the ability to judge sin. And so we preach against sin. We warn people of the consequences of it. And when necessary, I don't mind mentioning specific sins. But at the same time, we're very quick to point out that God is willing to forgive people of all sin. All of us are sinners. Uh, Anyone that will confess their sins and repent of their sins and trust Christ as their Savior, God will forgive all of their sins. And if God forgives, then who are we to say that we won't forgive? So we're not going to say that we're not going to forgive when God says that he will. And then I'll also hasten to add that anyone, what anyone has done in the past really doesn't matter, at least as far as it goes with, with God's forgiveness. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how awful that your sins are, if you will confess them, if you will repent of them and forsake them and trust Christ, then there is forgiveness. And that's the key to this whole thing. There has to be that confession, there must be repentance, and there must be faith in Christ. And so I think it's very clear that the Bible teaches that God forgives sin. The Bible is filled with passages about God's forgiveness. Adam sinned. He plunged the entire world into the darkness of the curse. And yet God forgave him of his sin. We read about Abraham and how he was called by God. And Abraham sinned in that calling, and yet God forgave him. We read about Jacob's sin, and God forgave him. We go on in Scripture, and we come to the period known as the Judges. And this is when Israel, there was a lot of wickedness in Israel. In fact, in the book of Judges, you'll find there it says that people did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't pay attention to what God said, and yet God was willing to forgive them of their sins. You come to the period of the kings of Israel, and there you'll find that there were times when Israel was so wicked when they turned against God, they even sacrificed their own children to heathen gods. And yet we find this passage in Second Chronicles that was given to Solomon in which God says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And so we see these wicked, heinous sins that are committed in the Bible. We see idolatry and murder. There's adultery and homosexuality. There's drunkenness. There's lying. There's extortion. Name any sin that you want to name. You can find these in the Bible. And the Bible says that God will forgive those sins. I think of that passage in 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 
So here's this whole list of terrible sins that the Corinthians had committed, but they confessed those sins, they repented of them, they put their faith in Christ. And so Paul says, you have been washed from your sins. You are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he very simply means here, you have been forgiven of your sins. You're no longer this way. You're not fornicators. You're not idolaters. You're not adulterers, and so on. You have turned from those sins, and now you have been forgiven. And then we think about the worst sin that was ever committed. And what do you suppose would be the worst sin that anybody could commit? Well, when I think about it, I think about the sin of crucifying Jesus on the cross. I think about taking Jesus, the very Son of God, and beating him to a bloody mess, and taking him and pressing that mocking crown of thorns into his head, driving nails into his hands and his feet, putting him up on that cross to hang there naked, to be mocked by the crowd. I think, what could be a worse sin than that? And yet, in that horrible scene, it was Jesus himself who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so there were some that participated in the crucifixion of Christ, and God forgave them when they repented of their sins. So we come to this passage, and it, it's an enigma. It doesn't really seem to fit. And it's probably the most frightening passage of Scripture that you can read in the Bible because you might wonder, have I committed this sin? Have I gone so far that I've passed the point of no return? Have I committed a sin that God will not forgive? And that's a very important question to ask. And really it's one that provides its own answer. And I'll explain that in just a few minutes. Now let's back up for just a moment here and let's consider what is it that brings us to this point. Why does Jesus talk about this sin that will not be forgiven? So we're going to talk first about the circumstance of the sin. Jesus accused the Pharisees of committing this sin. But what are the circumstances of it? And that's very important. That's why we take our time as we're studying in Matthew to, to research this so that we clearly understand the context in which statements like this are made. Now, I'm not going to go into complete detail, but that gets us all the way up to this point because that's dealt with in many previous messages. But there are a few details that we need to talk about very briefly. And it starts here in the 22nd verse with a man who was blind, a man who was dumb, a man who was possessed with a demon, and he was brought to Jesus. And there's no detail about how Jesus did this, but Jesus healed that man by casting out his demon, the demon that possessed him. And so this man was healed, and the people were just simply astounded at this miracle. There was no doubt something supernatural had taken place. This is not a trick. This is not sleight of hand. There is no doubt. And the miracle was so amazing that people pose the question, is not this the son of God or the son of David? Couldn't this actually be the Messiah? And at that point, the people are not enemies of Christ, of Jesus, but the religious leaders certainly were. They also knew that a miracle had happened. And if the people had begun to pose this question that Jesus is the Messiah, then they had better find a way to refute that idea. 
So they posed a theory to explain it, how the demon was cast out. And they said, he does this by the prince of demons. He cast out demons by the power of Satan. And that, of course, was a ridiculous assertion. Jesus proved that it was. He explained that Satan was smarter than that. Satan doesn't cast out demons because then it would mean that his kingdom is divided. His kingdom would be in a state of war against itself. And there is no kingdom that wars internally that can stand. And then further, Jesus went on to prove his power over Satan by saying that Satan cannot be overcome unless there is someone more powerful to bind him and then he's at liberty to spoil his kingdom. And that's what Jesus did. He was able to cast out the demon because he overpowered Satan. I mean, literally, that's, that's the, whole, the whole thing here. Jesus overpowered Satan. And that's why he was able to cast out, out the demon. He delivered this man from Satan's clutches. This is when Jesus made the charge against them. He said, you have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. They claimed he cast the demon out by the power of Satan. And so the circumstance of this is the healing of this blind man. Now, as I've been talking here, we've also established the condition under which this sin is committed. So secondly is the condition of the sin. And the condition of it is that it's committed in the presence of great miracles that are done by Jesus. And there is a claim made that these are not the works of God, but these are actually the works of Satan. Now, we need to understand that this is not the only time that these religious leaders said things like this. Uh, this was just one of many miracles that Jesus did. And this is the one that brought it to the head. There were thousands of miracles done before this. Jesus' miracles were commonplace. He'd gone about all the towns and villages of Galilee, healing people, doing miracles, casting out demons. There wasn't a town in Galilee that was untouched by these miracles and the religious leaders were there they were in the crowds they were watching Jesus do miracles but they were stiff-necked and they were hardened in unbelief it was beyond reasonable doubt that Jesus had come from God and yet in their pride and their prejudice and their selfish desire to maintain control and not to surrender to the authority of Christ they audaciously claimed that his power and his authority came from Satan. And that wasn't the first time that they'd whispered such things as this. If you look in the book of Mark, you'll find that Mark says that they had said this many times. They said even that Jesus had an unclean spirit. Or in other words, that Jesus himself was possessed with a demon. This is when Jesus says, you have spoken blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and you will not be forgiven of this sin. Now let's take just a moment here to talk about blasphemy. What is blasphemy? Well, we can define it this way. Blasphemy is intentionally and openly speaking evil against the Holy God by defaming and mocking him. Blasphemy is intentionally and openly speaking evil against the Holy God by defaming and mocking him. Now, I want you to keep that definition in mind for just a moment, and let me read to you something that Paul said. 1 Timothy chapter 1, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry 
who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul said, I was a blasphemer, but I have forgiveness. And he wasn't exaggerating his former life. He persecuted and killed Christians. He spoke terrible things against Christ. And so why was he forgiven and Jesus says these people would not? Well, it's evident that there has to be something very different about the type of blasphemy that's committed in Matthew 12. They had refused the testimony of the Holy Spirit that was demonstrated in signs and miracles. The Holy Spirit testified that Jesus is the king and the Spirit testified that Jesus was sent from God and he was able to do these miracles by the Holy Spirit that was in him. So this tells us that there was a very specific condition. Jesus was present in the flesh. He was healing people with a very clear demonstration of the power and authority of God. And men took this holy work that Jesus did and they said, this is of Satan. This is Satan's work. And they took this holy man and in spite of all the evidence to the contrary, they said he has a devil. Now we notice also in these two scriptures that Jesus says, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Then he goes on and he says, you can speak against the Son of Man, but you cannot speak against the Holy Spirit. Now that is a perplexing problem. Is the Holy Spirit more God than Jesus? Is there a difference between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit? Are there different degrees of of dignity and of divinity in the Godhead? Is the Spirit above Jesus Christ so that if you offend him, then you've done something worse than to offend Jesus? Now we need to pay attention because here's one of the keys of understanding this. Jesus said, you can speak against the Son of Man and you can be forgiven. Jesus says the son of man. And he says that because that is a reference to him in his humanity. He is the son of God in the incarnation. And that's when he stepped down and he purposely put himself in subjection to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to this very interesting factoid about Jesus. Do you know what the first words that Jesus said were in the Bible? We don't have a record of Jesus' early life when he was a child. So the Bible's not a baby book about Jesus that says, well, on October 5th, Jesus said, Mama. It doesn't give us that kind of information. But it does give us his first words spoken in Scripture. And this is in Luke chapter 2, verse number 49, when Jesus was 12 years old. There in Luke 4, 29, and he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not, or did you not know that I must be about my father's business. And so the very first words that Jesus spoke in the scripture were words about subjection to his heavenly father. And that's very important because Jesus is speaking here in his humanity. He's talking about his humility. And when he was in the flesh, you could say anything about him that you wanted and he would forgive. And we just witnessed that just a moment ago as we looked at the cross. The very worst that could be done was done to him and still he was willing to forgive. Now can you imagine how it was when Jesus was growing up 
that his brothers, how they razzed him because he was the perfect child. And can you see the, the anger that was in them because he's so good. And mama never punishes him because he never does anything wrong. Can you imagine how many ugly remarks they made against their own brother? And then we know that none of them believed the miracles that Jesus did. It wasn't until after Jesus arose from the dead that his brothers believed in him. So while Jesus was here in the flesh, he veiled his glory with that flesh. He, he covered up his glory. So if to commit a sin against him when he has that glory veiled in the human flesh, all of those kinds of sins are pardonable. But let's suppose for a minute that Jesus was here in his full splendor and glory and that if that, that the second person of the Trinity was completely opened up so you could see him in that full blaze of glory, what would happen? Well, first of all, you couldn't stand the display because to see God in his glory would mean your instant vaporization. You can't stand in the glory of God. But let's suppose for a minute that that's the way that Jesus came and he appeared in his full glory... He's the glory of God, and for someone to come to him and say, you aren't God, you are actually from the pit of hell. What do you think that he would do? You think he would say, oh, that's okay, you can be forgiven of that, that's fine, just go and think what you think. No, you read the back of the book and you'll find out what happens when he comes in his glory. And there are people that will not repent of the blasphemies that they've made against him, and they will suffer the fires of an eternal hell. So we don't need to be shaken up about this dichotomy between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The difference is Jesus in his incarnation versus the Holy Spirit in his full deity. So Jesus says, not this, not blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This will not be forgiven. And do you know why? Because this is a person that does not seek repentance. This is a person that doesn't care. He's become so hardened, even in the face of all these great miracles, that he will not seek repentance. And then here is another interesting factoid for you. Why do people repent in the first place? In the book of Acts, chapter 11, the apostles said, God grants repentance. God is the one who gives repentance. And that's the problem here. These people were so willfully stubborn and they would not give God the glory for his work. They drugged the Holy Spirit through the mud in the face of everything that God was so clearly doing. And so God would not give them repentance. And this is when God will not forgive. If there is no repentance, God will not forgive. And that's something that everybody needs to be aware of. If you have repented today, and if you have trust Jesus Christ, and you have been forgiven of your sins, all of that is God's work. Now, you might have said, I confess, and you said, I repent, and you said, I believe. But you only do that because God gives you the ability to do that. That doesn't arise from within you. God grants that. So if you've done that, if you have trusted in Christ, then that's evident that the Holy Spirit was already at work in your heart. Now let me roll this back a little bit further to what I said earlier. What if you ask this question, have I committed the unpardonable sin? Have I done something that God will not forgive me for if I ask him? And that question contains its own answer. Because anybody that is concerned about this has not committed this sin 
If you have to ask about it, if you care that you might have, if you care that you could do this, then you have not committed this sin. Now the problem is with people that would never ask the question. They were unconcerned about it. They believed that Jesus came from Satan and they would never entertain that that was a gross sin against God. So they were fine with it. They were fine just the way they were and they were not not going to give a second thought about this. They would never ask. So if you wonder about it and if you ask, then you're not in this condition. You're not in that time. You're not in that place. You're not in the disposition they were in. And that's very important because this is a specific sin. And the question is not, have you committed an unpardonable sin? The question is, have you committed the unpardonable sin? Now, you see, what we can't do is that we can't make more of this than the Bible makes of it. This sin is spoken of three times in the Scriptures, and all three times are a retelling of this very same event. Then after Jesus died... After he arose from the grave, after he ascended back to the Father, there is no more warning about this sin. Paul never said to anybody, watch out, because you can commit the unpardonable sin. Peter never said that. James didn't. Jude didn't. They never said you can commit this sin. One that is so peculiar, a sin so peculiar, that Jesus says God will not forgive you. And I think that if it could be committed, we would surely want to know about it. So we're talking about a specific sin and a specific time that could only happen under certain conditions. Jesus must be in the flesh. Jesus must be doing miracles. And people must be so obstinate in that unbelief that they would say that God's work is being done by Satan. Now let's back up again all the way to the beginning of the message now and let's talk about the character of God. I said in the beginning that the scripture, this scripture is bothersome to us because we know the character of God. We know that God forgives people of sin. And you start reading the Bible, take a look along about Leviticus chapters 4 and 5, and there you will see when someone sins, it says, it shall be forgiven him. Another sin is mentioned, it shall be forgiven him. Then another sin, it shall be forgiven him. Over and over again, the scriptures keep saying, it shall be forgiven him. In the book of Numbers, you'll see, it shall be forgiven him. In the book of Deuteronomy, it shall be forgiven him. You go to the Psalms, and it says, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. In the New Testament, Jesus is constantly saying, your sins are forgiven. So we know that God is this great big forgiving God. We're beyond the incarnation of Christ, and nobody can commit the unpardonable sin. Nobody can commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so we're not concerned about committing that particular sin. God is so forgiving, so forgiving that there are two very important points that we need to make about his forgiveness. First of all, forgiveness is not restricted by the amount of sin. You're never going to reach a limit, and if you go beyond that limit, this set number of sins that you can never be forgiven. In fact, our forgiveness of each other is based upon the promise that God forgives all sin, regardless of how many sins are committed. Jesus taught on that subject when he was responding to Peter's question. 
In Matthew 18, it says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And that doesn't mean you forgive somebody 490 times and you've reached the limit. But that is an expression of limitless forgiveness. Then Jesus went on to give an illustration of a man that owed a large debt and he had been forgiven of that debt and yet he was unwilling to forgive someone who owed him a lesser debt. And the principle that Jesus taught is that God has forgiven us a mountain of sins that is so terrible that it caused the death of his son. And therefore, we should forgive the transgressions of others because all of those are far less than what we have done to God in comparison. So God doesn't concern himself with unpardonable sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all sins. And so that shows us that Matthew 12 must be something so unusual, a sin so unusual that it would not be mentioned in the course of any ordinary conversation about sin and forgiveness. So forgiveness is not restricted by the amount of sin. Then secondly, forgiveness is not restricted by the extent of sin. And by that, I mean sins committed to their worst conclusions. For example, sins of great brutality. You know, it's a terrible, terrible thing for someone to kill another person. Terrible crime against man, against society. But aren't we so much more enraged whenever we read about a torturous murder? What about a murder where the victim was burned with cigarettes before he was killed, or where his eyelids were slit, or fingers were cut off, or, or someone sawed off a limb while that person was still living? Those are crimes of the worst sort. And there's not one of us here that would think that person deserves, would not think that person deserves the hottest part of hell for committing something like that. And yet, we know that there are people in prisons that have committed those kinds of crimes, and they've been reached with the gospel of Christ. And they have believed and have been saved. Now, they have to bear the punishment of their crime, but they've been eternally saved for heaven. And we would ask, well, how could that be? How could God forgive sins like that? Well, God forgives the worst of the worst. The worst of the worst can be saved. And if it weren't that way, then we would begin to judge which people are worthy of salvation and which are not. And we would look at ourselves and we would say, well, I deserve God's grace. I deserve God's mercy. I'm surely not as bad as that person down the street. I mean, that that unsociable person there, that socially unacceptable person. I'm not as bad as they are. And yet we look in Scripture and we see those that had committed the worst crimes of all in the torture of Jesus Christ... And there are many who believe that that centurion who was in charge of that crucifixion detail was actually saved. He saw what took place on that cross and he said, surely this was the Son of God. None of us have committed an unpardonable sin. And so, or the unpardonable sin. So so we look at candidates who could have committed that unpardonable sin and where do we find them? Who today could have committed a sin as bad as what Jesus talks about in Matthew 12? So we see the worst of the worst in Jesus' day, the ones that crucified Christ, 
So how could they have been forgiven? Who has done worse? And how can we warn people of committing a sin that even Jesus didn't warn people of? And yet, we're still faced with the reality of an unpardonable sin. Not the unpardonable sin, but an unpardonable sin. So what is that sin? Well, it's actually not one sin. It's all sins. All sins are unpardonable sins unless certain conditions are met. Now understand again that the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin, we cannot commit that today. Uh, There was a fellow who wrote a gospel tract that we used to have here when I first became the pastor. And this fellow said, there's only one sin that condemns people to hell, and that is the sin of unbelief. And if you repent of the sin of unbelief and that sin only, then you can go to heaven. And I threw those tracts away because that's not the truth. That is not a true representation of repentance and forgiveness of God. The Bible teaches that you must repent of all of your sins before you can go to heaven. Any sin that's not repented of is an unpardonable sin. But here's the thing. You are not going to repent of any sin as long as you are in unbelief. Nobody has ever said, God, I'm sorry for my sins and I repent of my sins, but I don't believe that Jesus died to save me from my sins. Nobody does that. Repentance and faith are what we call twin graces. You can't have one without the other. So everybody that repents believes, and everybody that believes repents. Now, Here's the salient point that I want you to get from this. There is an unpardonable sin. There is a chief sin of all, and it's the sin of the rejection of Jesus Christ. It's the sin of turning your back on the one who died for your sins, refusing to believe that Christ is the Savior of the world. So you don't concern yourselves with the Pharisees and say, well, it's a good thing. We can't commit that sin today. I can't commit the sin that the Pharisees did. You can't say that if you are in unbelief. Because if you die having rejected Christ, then you can lift out the end of verse number 32 and apply it to you. Your sin will not be forgiven in the world to come. Now, you may not know this, but this is a scripture that the Roman Catholics use as one of the proofs for purgatory. And they say that there's an indication here that some sins can be forgiven in the next life. So if you go to purgatory, then you can work off some of these sins, some of the ones that you haven't repented of. uh, There's forgiveness for those if you go to purgatory and suffer for those sins. And then when you've suffered enough, then you'll be released and everything is okay. No, Jesus is not talking here about the possibility of parole. It is an emphatic that this sin will never be forgiven. Now, there are many people that preach this passage and they say, well, the unpardonable sin is, or the unpardonable sin is the sin of unbelief. And you know why that doesn't work? It's because all of us were once in unbelief. Every one of you that are in here today, that you're saved, and probably most of you are, we've all been forgiven of unbelief. And that's because we repented of that unbelief and now we're on our way to heaven. So, So unbelief is an unpardonable sin if you stay that way. If you walk away and you say, I will not believe, and if you die that way, then you'll not be forgiven of your sins. If you slip out into eternity 
by an automobile accident or by some, some, uh, a heart attack or some other illness, still in that unbelief, then the Bible teaches that you will suffer the eternal wrath of God for those sins. There is no hope after this life if you die in unbelief. Now, I hope that you understand that we can tell you about sin. We can judge which things are sins because the Bible so clearly tells us what they are. But it also says that all people are sinners and all need to be forgiven, and we can tell you how to be forgiven. I can't forgive you of sins, but I know the one who can. God forgives of sin, and of that I have no doubt. Someone said to me the other day, you just don't understand. You don't understand. I've done some really bad things in my past. And I said, I don't care about your past. I want to know, what are you going to do right now? And so when does God not forgive? He does not forgive when you do not believe in his son, Jesus Christ, that he died to save you from your sins. Now, two important scriptures I'm going to read to you and then we're done. John 3.18, Jesus said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John wrote in the 36th verse of the same chapter, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now there is what we need to remember. He that does not believe shall not see life. That is an unpardonable sin. And that's when God will not forgive. And so if you have a question about this, if you question, have I committed the unpardonable sin? Well, you have your own answer. Uh, You haven't committed the one that's in the Bible. That's impossible to commit. But if you're worried about unpardonable sin, something that you might have done that God won't forgive, then I can tell you one thing, one answer for all of that. Trust Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins, confess your sins, and trust Jesus Christ. And at that point, all sins, past, present, and future from this point on, are covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. All of those sins can be forgiven. All of them are pardonable as long as you have repented and trusted Christ as your Savior. That's the key to the whole thing here. So Jesus said these people, they had committed the unpardonable sin, but what he says to you today, don't be caught in unbelief because then you will have committed an unpardonable sin. Trust Christ. That's the only way to avoid not being forgiven of your sins and spending eternity in hell. Trust him and be forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what we're able to to glean from Scripture today. And we learn here, Lord, that that God forgives of sin and we, we need not think that there's anything that we've done, not the extent of our sin, not the, not the worst conditions that sin are committed under, not the extent of those, but Lord, that you can forgive us of all sins. If we would just come to you and confess those, repent and put our faith in you, that you will forgive us of all sins. Lord, I do pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know you as Savior, that they would very clearly understand this. There's only one way to have sin forgiven, and there's only one outcome for people whose sins are not forgiven. 
So we must trust Christ or else suffer the consequences of God's wrath. We thank you that you've given Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. And all that you've asked us to do is to listen to that message and believe it. Repent of our sins. Trust in you to save us from them. Lord, speak to hearts today. Draw Christians close to you and cause sinners to come to you in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.